Upside Talk Politics, the left-wing political podcast where we talk about politics. I'm Ryan, and I'm here with Sean. Hi, I'm Sean. <laughs> we are introing, uh, this is a bonus episode, a special bonus episode that we did, we being just me, not yeah, Sean. I had nothing to do with this. Where I interviewed my dad about his take on all sorts of political things. Hey, our dad. <laughs> our dad. <laughs> and it was a really interesting conversation. And he talks a lot about the police. Can you believe it? No. I, he's. I'm not... I've never talked to our dad, but I don't understand. He usually doesn't talk about the police. <laughs> and word of warning that this is not... If you're looking for the regular host's opinions, this is not that. I just talked to him. I interviewed him. My opinions are not represented in this conversation. If you could believe it. Can you believe it? No way. <laughs> Just watch out for the edits. Listen, Ryan's edited it, so his opinions are throughout. Yeah, my my opinions are shown in a subtle, overarching editorial way. If you listen, there's a little background noise, uh, and if you patch it together, which each word that the background noise is under, it spells out his uh, true feelings towards everything. <laughs> yeah. So without further ado, here it is. So I'm here with Wayne, or also known as Dad to some hosts, me. <laughs> How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Hey, how you, how you doing? How hey, you hey, doing? hey there, boss. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about people that don't fit into the binary political choice. Do you consider yourself a Republican or a Democrat? No. Just... I, I consider myself a recovering Democrat and a recovering <laughs> Republican. Okay. But you are a registered Republican, right? I may have changed it to independent. Uh, you if didn't. Not, I checked. <laughs> okay. Then I will be changing it to, to an independent. Okay. But I I kind of don't want to, too, because I do like to vote in the primaries. Yeah. So if any listeners don't know, in New York, we have a closed primary. I wanted to go independent in 2012, but basically we waste the primary vote. So that sucks. In other states, it's an open primary where you can vote in a primary if you're not in the party, but we're not. So, you mentioned you're a recovering Democrat and a recovering Republican. When did you fall into what parties? When I was younger, in my high school days, I started getting involved. Now, this was in, like, the late 90s? (laughs) I wish it was. (laughs) But it was uh, the late 70s, early 80s. Okay. I graduated high school in 1981. Okay. So, I started getting involved in music a little bit. Um, playing music and a lot of the songs back then that we wrote were very critical of politicians and politics this is when carter was president more reagan okay well that was so he came in in 80 so okay yeah i think i mentally blocked the whole carter administration (laughs) from my life okay but i became more politically aware when reagan was president and i wasn't happy with the republican party I so thought, before Reagan, were you just like neutral? I think I lead, leaned more towards the Democratic Party, 
coming from a uh, an Irish Catholic family, John F. Kennedy was like a hero to my whole family. And I thought at the time the Democratic Party was more for the working people and more for civil rights. And the Republican Party seemed more towards corporation rich people. Wow, what a foreign what a foreign world that is. So just to contextualize it, you were born after Kennedy was assassinated. Yes. Did you have any personal like opinions on Kennedy or was it just the family environment? No, just growing up Irish Catholic and he was the first and only Irish Catholic president we ever had. So So then so that's when you started getting anti Republican. But I've heard you talk very highly of Ronald Reagan. Well, I thought Ronald Reagan kind of brought back this is an evil word today, but patriotism. I thought since the Nixon administration, then Ford and Carter, I don't think anyone was very proud of being an American at the time. And Ronald Reagan with his, you know, tear down that wall and just his political speeches, he seemed, he portrayed a president that actually seemed to love the country and wanted to do what was best for America. Whether or not he did that, that's for the history books to decide. So did you actually agree with any of Reagan's policies, or was it more just his demeanor? And I think more his just demeanor. I, I didn't like Reagan at first, but I saw how he brought patriotism back. I, don't, I didn't know much about Reaganomics. I didn't care that much when I was, you know, 15, 16, 17. I just didn't like the way corporate America was starting to take over politics. Okay. So then did you kind of stay in that side of things for a long time? Until I started working in the inner city. Okay. And then what happened? And then I saw how the democratically ran city of New York was going to shit. Okay. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more? Well, yeah. The the mayor of New York, David Dinkins at the time. So that's early 90s. Was it? So, like, the George H.W. Bush into the Clinton years. What was it about the Democratic policies in the city that pushed you even further to the right? So much. <laughs> um, a friend of mine, Michael O'Keefe, who I ended up working with a few years later. Uh, nice shout-out out there. That was an un- yeah, unsponsored My- shout-out. <laughs> an author. Look up his book. <laughs> Go buy his book. He, uh, he was a New York City police officer in Washington Heights. And he was involved in a struggle for his life with a known drug dealer. And he ended up discharging his weapon and killing this drug dealer. It was totally justified. No grand jury indictment. Um, It did cause a few days of riots. And David Dinkins, instead of sticking up for the people that are putting lives on the line, had New York City pay for this guy's funeral and pay for his uh, body to be flown back to, I think he was from Dominican Republic, I'm not sure. And that just left a really bad taste in my mouth. Um, once I got to, I, I was working for emergency medical service in really poor neighborhoods in Brooklyn, East New York, Bedford-Stuyvesant. And a lot of the things I saw appeared to be people that just didn't want to work. People that were kind of living off the city's teat and um, the city council and the mayor's office and those administrations, they seem to be more 
for for the criminals and less for the people, the working people of the city of New York. David Dinkins came out with this um, thing for the police department that patrol officers can no longer make low-level narcotics arrests because... So for the listeners that don't know, what makes what is a low-level narcotic? Um, somebody dealing heroin out in the street. Okay. You know, not kilos, but just, you know, $10 bags all day long. And the Dinkins administration didn't trust their police officers. They thought that the police officers um, are prone to being corrupt. Which there are corruptions in, in the police department, but he was basically labeling every uniformed police officer as not having the moral ground to make a low level arrest without a low level narcotic arrest without taking money or drugs from these people that they're arresting. So that's actually policy, but you started a lot of it was still also the rhetoric. So- yeah, not only that, I also thought that the the quality of life in New York City was horrendous. I grew up on Long Island. I frequented New York City a lot for, for concerts. And, you know, we would just go into Times Square before Giuliani made a Disney World. Times Square was just a crazy, crazy place. It was great when I was, you know, 16 to 20. You could get anything you wanted from phony ID to, you know, any type of prostitution. There, there was, you know... Everywhere you looked was triple X rated shows and there was drugs everywhere. There was homeless everywhere. And once I started growing up a little bit, I realized this isn't like a good thing. It's it's not a, you know, it's a very dangerous place and it was just getting worse and worse. And it didn't seem like the Democrats that were in power really cared about doing anything. So I know growing up, I heard lots of complaints about Giuliani as well. What was it like when he took over? Well, a lot of people argue that Giuliani ruined the New York City attitude. Because Giuliani, if, uh, if I mean, listeners should know, but he became a pretty big GOP guy. He was one of Trump's big guys yes. recently, and he's actually still being floated as if Trump fires Jeff Sessions as someone he might pick for attorney general. Well, I left um, EMS while Dinkins was still the mayor. Mm-hmm. I got hired as a New York City police officer under David Dinkins. When I got sworn in, Dinkins swore me, swore, swore me in, and Giuliani graduated me from the academy. So while I was in the academy, there was a change in administration. Okay. I was never a fan of uh, Rudy Giuliani while he was the attor- uh, U.S. attorney in the uh, Southern District of New York. I read uh, I read a lot of books on 1970s policing, and there was a lot of problems in New York with with the police. It was a very corrupt police force in the 70s under Mayor Lindsay. Uh, once I started doing th- that research, I really started disliking Democrats, the Democratic Party, not not Democrats per se, not liberal people, but the politicians. So, but the question that I have is. If it's if Dinkins wasn't trusting the police because he felt they were too corrupt, what was it about Democrats in the seventies that exacerbated or led to the corruption? Well, Phil Cardello was a police officer who was basically set up and assassinated. He, he they got a call for a mosque up in Harlem. This is one of the, the biggest travesties ever in the New York City Police Department. There was a phony call of an officer needing help. When his partner went into the building, they were met by 
five. They're they're a type of Muslim. Just Malcolm X, mm-hmm. uh, Louis Farrakhan. They seem to be more of a, um, to me anyway. They seem to be the opposite of what Martin Luther King, what he wanted to fight for civil rights, and they condone violence and um, there's a lot of hatred in that organization. And when he went, when they entered the mosque, the doors were locked behind him. They were beaten severely. Officer Cardillo lost his his gun was taken from him, and he was shot and killed. Police finally gained entry. No one had left the mosque yet, and there was about 11 people in the basement. Charles Rangel, who is still a uh, congressman in New York, he's a criminal and he's a piece of shit. Mayor Lindsay, who was so worried about riots because he was, uh, I think he was making a bid for president, and Nelson Rockefeller, who I believe was a governor at the time, also making a, a bid for federal office. They were so afraid of riots that they actually ordered all the police to leave and a promise from Louis Farrakhan to Charles Rangel would have these 11 people brought into the precinct to be interrogated and all the police left and they were never brought to the precinct and the assailants of of uh, Cardillo were never fully brought into custody. And it's, it's, and that was strictly democratic policy. The, you know, the Democrats in New York City. Under David Dinkins, the city burned uh, during, with the Michael O'Keefe incident, when he was struggling for his life, he killed the person that was trying to kill him. That went on for three, four days. Crown Heights, there was a, uh, problems between the Hasidic community and the African-American community. And that went on for three or four days and Dickens ordered everybody not to do anything and the city burned again. So you saw a lot of the same kind of thing happening again and again. Over and over, just letting... And, you know, people protesting, it's everyone's right to protest in the United States. Peaceful protest. It's, it's nobody's right to damage other people's property, to hurt people, to punch people. And it seemed like the Democrats in charge of the city was letting that go on. And it was the, the second administration that I know, know of that was letting that go on. So then what was it like under Giuliani? Did that change? I personally didn't like Rudy Giuliani. Um, but going back to like the Phil, Phil Cardillo days and the, the days of, you know, like, department-wide corruption where everybody from the, the patrolman to the mayor was getting some type of kickback. You know, they had, they called meat eaters and grass eaters. Grass eaters were the guys that took prostitution money, took uh, gambling money. This is before any off-track betting. or So gambling was a, a big mm-hmm. crime back in the, uh, in the 60s and 70s. And the meat eaters were the guys that would take drugs and take money from drug dealers and watched out for for worse criminals. You know, you could say gambling is just as bad as a crime because the addiction, you know, fights, you know, ruins people's lives, like heroin ruins people's lives. But I guess the police at the time thought that that money was, like, more cleaner than okay. drug money. And did Giuliani stop that? Giuliani, 
when he was U.S. US attorney, was very, um, very active in prosecuting police officers. And a lot of his arrests led to, uh, like, came from the Knapp Commission, which was a commission based on on the corruption going on at the time. The famous thing would probably would be uh, Frank Serpico, who was a police officer at the time. He fought corruption. A lot of guys, when I got started working with EMS, there were still guys that worked with Frank Serpico, and they all badmouthed him. And that, that's the culture in the police police department. But they, these were guys that actually worked with him, and they said he took as much money as everybody else. He just decided to, what maybe he got caught. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't know if that's true. I wasn't really around during those days, but it's just from the the books that I read. So how did Giuliani? You might not even know this, but how did Giuliani go from being this attorney that was going after the police? to the mayor and now like pretty much still to this day a, a Republican law and order candidate. Well, his background is in law and order. He was a he was a prosecutor for the federal government. He went after the police because that's what needed to be done at the time. Mm-hmm. There's a great quote in one of the books. I think it's uh, from Prince of the City. And Prince of the City, if you want to know about police corruption in the 1970s, read Prince of the City and read The French Connection. Are you getting paid for these ads? No, or? <laughs> no. And, and if you really want to be disgusted about Phil Cardillo, there's a book called Circle of Six, and it's about the six politicians that let a police officer's murder leave. I've seen that book in our bathroom <laughs> from time to time. Yeah, it's a, it's a great book, and I think it's a must-read for any person going into law enforcement because you can see how the politicians really don't care about your life. So now when did, you said, so all these things you're saying about Giuliani seem pretty positive. Why weren't you a fan of him? During his, the way he prosecuted people? Um, you don't know. <laughs> no, no, I do know. I'm just trying to articulate it in a way that it doesn't sound like I'm a complete asshole. <laughs> so you've that, never listened to our show before because every point we have makes us sound like we're complete assholes. <laughs> That's kind of the shtick. All right. <laughs> There's a great quote in one of the books that Giuliani says uh, he he was still a prosecutor and he had New York City detectives working for him and he just he needed some investigations done and the cops that he had now the detectives that he had now just weren't doing the job properly and maybe they, they didn't have enough training or they didn't have enough they, they just didn't want to do it. Or they just didn't do the job well. And he goes, what the fuck happened to all these great New York City detectives? And another old timer just looked looked him right in the eye and said, you locked them all up. But that still seems like it said you said that that's something that needed to be done. And you were disgusted with the Democrats for not doing it. Well, some of his some of his interrogation techniques and some of the deals he made with really bad guys to get really bad police officers, really corrupt police officers, to get less corrupt police officers under him. And also, there also seemed to be some... When you set somebody up to commit a crime, it wasn't their idea. Like entrapment? Entrapment. I, I, I felt that there was a lot of entrapment going on in his prosecution. So he operated too much in the gray, and you wanted more of like a Harvey Dent I, figure that'll go right? Yeah, I, I think he just... He, I think he only cared about getting convictions. Okay. And whether or not 
some of these men uh, should have been convicted, that's that's a debate for another time. One thing I could say about Giuliani, on a positive note, was after years of David Dinkins, and uh, Ed Koch was okay. You know, he, he paid the cops, and he paid EMS. Uh, he kind of, the city started falling apart under his watch. It went bankrupt, but he took care of his employees. David Dinkins did not. Rudy Giuliani got in, and it was very refreshing to go from, uh, he picked Bill Bratton as his his police commissioner, and police and Commissioner Bratton brought in this guy, Jack Maples, who's a lieutenant from the New York City Transit Police Department. Um, Giuliani also merged the three police departments in New York City into one. He also took EMS and put it into the fire department, which, you know, some people say were good moves, some people say were not, but... What, what Giuliani did what was very refreshing was when there was a police-involved shooting, unlike David Dinkins and the piece of shit de Blasio that's in office now, they always condemned the police officer, whether it was good or not, whether it was a good shooting or a bad shooting. Giuliani and Brad. For the record, just to clarify, when you say good shooting, you mean justified shooting, yes. right? Yeah. That, that's a police term. Yeah. A good shoot is one that you're totally justified. But I just want to make it clear to listeners that you're not saying, like, this is great that this happened. No. You're saying it's justified. Yeah, anytime anybody has to take a life, it's it's a horrible thing. Yeah, I just think that's an important caveat to make. Because yeah. a lot of times when you're not ingrained in the culture, terminology doesn't always translate. Sure. So a good shoot just means it's justified. You know, it's, it's uh, black and white. Guy had a gun, pointed it at you, and you protected yourself and, you know, everyone else around you. Good shoot. It was very refreshing when there was a police-involved shooting that Giuliani and Bratton immediately held a press conference and they automatically stuck up for the cop. They wanted everybody to wait until all the facts were in. But they stood behind the police officers. But couldn't you make the argument, I'm not saying you, but couldn't one make the argument that immediately jumping to the defense of the police officer before having the stories is also problematic? Shouldn't they have the story before they pick a side? They have the initial investigation. Oh, so when you say immediately, you mean they've been briefed on it? No one uh, should just hear and not talk to anybody and go on and say, well, it was, you know, we, we failed. We, I think that would all be kind of a common opinion. But now when you have a president that just lays out policy in response to people without talking to anybody, I think it's important to note when you say immediately, in most people's minds, it should be after an initial briefing. And in today's age, that that's not a given anymore. And I think no. that's important to note. On, on either side. Yeah, I think that's important to note. And also during the Giuliani administration, Commissioner Bratton found dirty cops. And they paraded them, you know, they, they gave them the perp walk. And for people that don't know what the perp walk is... So like in Game of Thrones? The shame walk? <laughs> kind of. Except, you know, they're not no naked. No spoilers. They're not naked and you can't throw tomatoes at them. <laughs> but um, the perp walk is basically, you see it on the news all the time when there's a high profile arrest. There's, you know, you have all the media on, mm-hmm. you know, two lanes and you bring the guy out from the precinct to the car. And it's called the perp walk. 
So now when did you start, because this, based on what you're saying, you seem pretty entrenched in the Republican Party. When did you start falling out of the Republican Party? Well, let me just go back to like the Giuliani administration. Mm -hmm. The the Democratic Party is, uh, you know, I guess during the Clinton years, I kind of started drifting towards more conservative values. I didn't. Was that due to the Clintons? I or think just it, due to other I think it was due to becoming more mature, uh, growing up a little bit. Because we are no fans of the Clintons on the show, either. Okay. Just for, yeah, well, there's, there's <laughs> for millions, what it's worth. The only, you know, uh, the economy is okay during Clinton. That I wasn't remember. his, whatever, not besides. Oh, I'm just totally saying, I, I was making some money during the Clinton administration. He helped brokered some peace in Northern Ireland, which was important to me. But, you know, he went. Under oath, he blatantly lied. He committed perjury about Monica Lewinsky. Mm-hmm. If I did that in my job, I would be fired, I'd be put in jail, and anyone that I ever arrested would probably be, have a, a good a good chance of getting the decision overturned. Mm-hmm. And nothing happened to Clinton. Now, do he, you... I mean, he was impeached, but he never left office. Just to clarify... To contextualize it more, do you care about the affair? No. So it's, it's about... just the perjury. Because the, the yeah. thing is, it's that I think is an important distinction that a lot of people don't clearly make, especially people on the right, is so you care. If he had just come out well, and said this happened. Here, Here's my take on it. If you're married and you take a vow in front of the person you're married and in front of God or whatever spiritual belief you believe in, whatever your core values are, when you take a vow... I'm not saying, do you think the cheating was morally right? No, but hear me out. Let me make my point. When you when you take a vow, you have to... That's a very important thing. And you have to live up to that every single day. He took a, He took a wedding vow and he broke that vow. So if he breaks his wedding vow... Why won't he break the vow he took, the oath of office? You take your wedding oath, you take the oath of office. If his wedding one didn't mean anything to him, then why would his oath of office mean anything to him? But here's also my thing on Clinton. I truly think Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton got married just for political views. I think Hillary Clinton is a big old lesbian (laughs) who, who didn't care, who didn't... Just look at her ankles. She has lesbian ankles. Okay. That that didn't care about um, so if you about managed, about Bill Clinton's indiscretions. If we if we've had progressives stick with us through all the police talk and everything, I think we just lost them. <laughs> well, yeah, and there's, you know, people get married for for political gain. No, I'm fine and, with the and, political gain thing, yeah. but just the like lesbian ankles. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> just a little levity. Check out her ankles. You, you would be like, wow. I have no. Wow, okay. I bet you those ankles played some softball back in the day. That's that's all new to me, and I don't necessarily condone those views. Do you view, at least, you know, it seems like even now, the Democratic Party more as doing what it takes to get elected more so than the Republican Party? No, both parties do whatever it takes to get elected. Okay, but that's the thing that rubs you the wrong way. Yeah, it is rubs when it feels the shallow. The, um, how the President of the United States can perjure himself and his party doesn't condemn him. Just as the craziness that Donald Trump is, a lot of his party is not condemning some of his, you know, and they're crazy fucking things he says. You know, and does. Yeah. Not all of it, 
you know, but, and here's why I'm just jumping back to like nowadays in the Obama administration, anything he tried to do, the Republicans tried to block. Didn't matter if it was good for the country or bad for the country. People have, people have opinions and opinions, you know, are that some are, if you could justify your, your opinions with logic, fine. Because you, you can have arguments and debates over over policy and over issues, and you should be able to come to an agreement that's going to help America. Obama had some, some good ideas, some not good, some not so good ideas, but it's, a, it's I don't think it's a Republican's job to block the bad ideas of the Democratic president. I think it's Congress as a whole to support good ideas and condemn bad ideas. Mm-hmm. Granted, there's you know, there's an ideological ideological difference between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. I believe in smaller government. I don't, and I, I don't believe the government should control every aspect of your life. But there's also parts of the government that are important, like the DEP. You know, it it should control how the water how water gets to us. It should control what goes in our food. Or the police department. From what you said, you needed the '70s New York City Police Department needed government intervention to clean it up. Well, that's what it sounds like. Um, it was a systematic, systematic corruption that was going on for years and years, and it became the daily routine of the New York City Police Department mm-hmm. and a lot of police departments. And I'm sure there's still very corrupt police departments in this country. Um, New Orleans. They're, you know, they're known as the most corrupt police department in the country. If, if it's true, I don't know. I was in New Orleans a couple of times and cops seen all like regular, you know, regular good guys. But there's a lot of corruption in New Orleans. And I think, I think just um, the Louisiana government is a pretty corrupt organization. So it falls down from the top. And that's when I, I started really during the Clinton era um, the Democrats left a bad taste in my mouth so when did the Republicans start leaving the bad taste in your mouth when did you start falling out of the Republican Party during the Obama years because they weren't getting anything done Congress was not getting anything done and it's the same thing now and I'm not saying like you know, appealing Obamacare might be good. I, I am so non-versed in healthcare. I just want to, for yeah. the listeners, we are recording this the morning after the vote, right? The, for the skinny repeal. So this it's Friday afternoon, and it just they just failed for the eighty-fifth time. So we don't know if Mitch McConnell seemed like it stuck last night. We'll see if that's the case. But that's just you know ink. By the time this comes out, things change sometimes. Yes, yeah. and me and this is just me being a little ignorant. I was a civil servant. I have medical benefits for for the rest of my life from the government. Yes, from the city of New York. I think that's important to contextualize. Yeah, but you know, um, I didn't have a Fortune five hundred job. I was never going to get rich doing what I did for a living. But I know that um, you know that we had a deal with the city is we go out there and we risk our lives 
and we try to make the city a better place. And after we do our time, or if we get hurt, we have a pension, and we have benefits, and you know that's the deal. And now you have some Democrats like Mario Cuomo trying to reform Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo. I'm sorry. <laughs> there, there, there's not too much of a difference between the two. Yeah. Um, he wants to do a, a constitutional uh, convention. Yeah, constitutional convention that could basically take my pension away from me. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, I have a huge problem with that. So, but more specifically, when you mentioned the Republicans just weren't getting anything done, so was it just the obstructionism that pushed you away, or were they what the things that they wanted to get done? How did you feel well, about it? It was obstructionism. It was also. You know, I could be, I could be for abortion and for the death penalty. You know, just as I, I could, I could have more than, than one view on something. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like, the Republicans just got further and further, towards the right, and there didn't seem to be anybody that was, uh, had the the core, Republican values of smaller government, you know, fiscal. Not crazy spending, mm-hmm. you know, and it just there aren't any Republicans that care about that. So, was there a specific why do you guys care so much about this? This doesn't represent me. No, it was more. Uh, I kind of just fell into being a Republican after seeing what the Democrats do, as far as, and I had a reason to follow New York City politics because I worked for New York City, mm-hmm. and. We were the police department. And there's always something going on with the police department in New York City. And the Democrats never backed us on anything. On anything. No matter what you did, there was always a problem mm-hmm. with how it was done. And then Giuliani came in and Bratton and Maples. And they really, they did so much for... Let me, let me come back. They didn't do so much. <laughs> They unhandcuffed the police and let us do our jobs. Where Dinkins, you were not able to make a narcotics arrest if you were a uniformed police officer. Only the guys in narcotics could do narcotics arrests. And most of the crime in in ghettos in the city, in places like Bed-Stuy, in places like Bushwick in the, in the uh, 80s and the 90s, East New York, a lot of it comes from street-level street street level drug dealing and that's where the majority of shootings stabbings everything was coming from from that so how do you feel about the modern republican parties or at least this administration's take on law enforcement because you have jeff sessions who as the attorney general wants to heavily heavily punish marijuana usage and wants to pack pack prisons and he even is pro privatization of prisons do you feel that that because you were saying the Democrats were too soft on crime. Where do you draw the line? Do you agree with Jeff Sessions? Jeff Sessions is an asshole. He is. Legalization of marijuana, I'm a huge supporter of that. From Just from, you know, being involved in music, being involved in working in bars, being involved in law enforcement, being involved in emergency medical care. Never had a problem with a guy that was stoned. You know? There's so many positive things about marijuana as far as pain treatment, especially today, we have a huge opiate addiction problem. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, it's not in the, in the cities anymore. 
it, it still is, but it seems less in, in the cities and more in places like, you know, nice neighborhoods, white, upper middle class neighborhoods. And a lot of it comes from doctors subscribing opiates for pain, pain, uh, pain management. You have a lot of straight A students, athletes, you know, probably looking at full scholarship rides for, for their ability to play sports. And they're, you know, and having, you know, being in, in honor, honor classes and AP classes and playing football, guy might break his arm and the doctor gives him opiates, you know, um, Vicodins, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he gets addicted to them. And that turns into, well, you can get heroin a lot cheaper. And then you get addicted to heroin and that's, that's a very ugly path where you could use marijuana, certain strains of marijuana, very good for pain management. And it's not an addictive substance. Mm-hmm. It could be psychologically addicting, but it's not physically addicting. And that's a, uh, you know, someone that wants to, it, we, have, we have a heroin crisis right now. And I, I worked in, in emergency medical services in the early 80s and mid 80s. And heroin was huge in the inner city. And I see how it destroys lives. And now it's destroying lives you know, everywhere. And for, for a guy that wants to take an alternative pain management program away, it's just ridiculous. Now, not to put you on the spot, but one thing that really stuck out to me just there, and I agree with everything you're saying, but you recognize that it was a huge problem in the inner cities. And now that it's in, to quote you, nice neighborhoods, white upper middle class neighborhoods. Do you think that's a problematic way of approaching it is now that it is affecting white people, we should give a shit? It always affected white people, right? I could tell you from from being on foot posts, an easy way to find out where a guy was dealing drugs was when a white guy walked in, follow him. You know, I'm not talking about the guy delivering Coca-Cola or the guy, you know, the guy fixing somebody's boiler. Well, it's the guy delivering but, coke, but just not soda pop. No, he, he's actually not <laughs> delivering. He's exporting it. Okay. You know? Um, and, you know, really bad junkies. You could just tell they're junkies by looking at them. You can't really... The, I, I've known casual heroin users. I didn't think there were casual heroin I didn't heroin know that users. was a thing. <laughs> yeah, there, there was. You know? You knew casual heroin users. I'm not going to tell you who it was. You really kept but, me safe huh? and protected. Well, it was the Clinton no. years. Everyone was doing yeah. good. No, actually, it was uh, <laughs> it was during the Obama years. Oh, okay. But, you know, and I, I, when it was a problem in the inner city, it was still a major problem. But it was traditionally an inner city problem. And when I say inner city, I don't mean, you know, just black neighborhoods, Puerto Rican neighborhoods. Just, you know, this, these are the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And I'd say in the last 10 years, it's become heroin abuse has become huge in the suburbs. Suburbs was always a cocaine place. You yourself in high school, you said <laughs> guys used to do cocaine right on the desk. Yeah. And cocaine. Not all the time. Right. Once not or all twice. the time. Casual. <laughs> casual. Casual classroom casual. cocaine yes. usage. And now heroin is a problem. And I think why there's a big attention on it is, that, yeah, there might be some racism involved. There, there's always the. You know, the PTA mom that goes, how can it be my son? Yeah. You know, I raised him right. This can't happen here. Yeah, but it does. It happens everywhere. Drugs don't know any boundaries. And it's a shame that drug use 
from from what I heroin use specifically from what I saw in the cities when I was working definitely decreased. When I first started working there with EMS and so and you with, saw a decrease under Giuliani. Yeah. Okay. Yep. The Giuliani administration really cleaned up New York City. It really did. You used to go to New York City. Every light, you would have the squeegee guys that would, you know, spray shit on your window and force you to give them money. You would have homeless encampments all over the place. And by encampments, I mean, like, actual villages of 20, 30 people living under railroad tracks in little makeshift cardboard boxes, tin houses, whatever they could make. You had drug dealing every day. You had... A lot of gang violence, a lot of just, you know, it was a bad place to live. Times Square was a total shithole, like I discussed before. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, it was a huge, huge pornography everywhere, uh, drugs everywhere, a lot of robberies. And Giuliani came in and his administration's policies unhandcuffed the police during the, the police, Giuliani gets the credit, Jack Maple was the architect of the broken windows theory. And if you don't know what the broken windows theory is, you take it, you, you um, aggressively go at the minor crimes and that will kind of open up an umbrella to the minor crimes will lead you to, to major crimes and it'll decrease everything. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Um, you could just tell by, if you look at pictures of 1970s New York and 1990s New York, they're to- it's a totally different place. He brought, he cleaned up uh, the Fulton Fish Market, which was all organized control, you know, uh, and that that affected the economy and commerce, and they did a really good job cleaning up the city, and then it was time for Giuliani to pay the police, because we worked our ass off for him, and traditionally we had a two year or a three year contract. And we were out of con- we were out of a contract for several years, and he gave us zeros, and that was kind of a slap in the face. Because, Fiscal conservatism. Yeah, but it's also he promised us. Yeah. You clean up the city, and you'll be rewarded, and we were not rewarded. We were slapped in the face. That's not a reason to hate the Republicans. But, it's a reason I hate Giuliani? Yeah. And Giuliani did a lot of fucked up things, too. As, as the people he picked to clean up the city of New York, Bill Bratton and Jack Maples, were what cleaned up New York City. He fired Bill Bratton, well, kind of forced him to resign because Bill Bratton was getting better press than Giuliani was. And that's kind of fact. John Miller was a... Uh, he was... First Deputy Commissioner of the Police Department, uh, Deputy Commissioner of Public Information. He was a news reporter that Bratton made, you know, basically the police department spokesperson. And he was given credit where credit was due, and Giuliani had enough of it because he wasn't getting the credit, and fired John Miller, causing Bill Bratton to resign. And then there was a string of commissioners that he brought in that just were not good. Howard Safer fired or disciplined took took vacation day more vacation days and more suspensions and more firings than any other police commissioner in the history of the New York City Police Department. Um, then you had Ray Kelly 
uh, I'm sorry, not Ray Kelly, Bernard Kerrig, who was the police commissioner. He was the commissioner of corrections, then the police commissioner, and he ended up serving time in jail for corruption. It was all under Giuliani. And I still, you know, you still got to give Giuliani credit for making the city a much safer place. His administration, the credit really falls with the police department, though. You know, and Giuliani, during 9-11, he became America's mayor. Mm-hmm. And I thought, uh, I, I thought he did a tremendous job in the days after 9-11 and the weeks after. And I think George W. Bush did a great job in the days after and the weeks after 9-11. As far as uniting the country and... You know, and just, again, the patriotism comes in. Mm -hmm. It was a disaster. And then, you know, then Bush's policies after that leave a little bit to be desired, (laughs) you know? Okay. But, you know, like, I don't know if if David Dinkins was a mayor and Al Gore was president, if the unity would have came came together. I think it would have because I think, especially New Yorkers, but Americans as a whole, when disaster strikes, you kind of... That's the only time I actually saw people reach across the aisle. Mm-hmm. And just getting back to, like, the main point was i seen the Republicans obstruct or attempt to obstruct every one of Obama's policies. And I see the Democrats doing the same thing to Trump. Granted, Obama and Trump are two, you know, like, completely different types of human beings. And I that's why I'm so disillusioned with both parties because no matter how much of a crazy person Trump is and his idiotic tweets he has to have some good ideas somewhere and I'm gonna push you on that okay name one I have to think <laughs> you know all right here here's here's a good idea if you and like I said I'm not well versed in healthcare but I think everybody admits there are there are some problems yes with the Obama's plan <clears throat> no okay. public option. No public option. <laughs> and um, you can't go from state to state, right? Yes. Or you can. You cannot. You cannot. Okay. So, I don't think the Obama plan is the best plan you could have. That's very true. Yeah. So, him repealing it and coming up with a better plan is a good idea. But the plan he's coming up with <laughs> yeah. is not a better plan. That's the thing is, in you know? theory, some of these yeah. ideas may work. But yeah. I, I want to just... And, and I think... Another another policy is the deportation of illegal aliens that commit criminal acts. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I, I know there's problems when, when you have somebody that's been here for, for 35 years. He's not a criminal. He's just here illegally. He raised a family here. He contributes to society. All right? There has to be some type of amnesty program put in for that. I also feel that if you've been here for 30 years and you don't attempt to become legal, you deserve what you get. Okay? I never had the struggles of having to come from a, a another country, another government, and another culture and assimilate into here. I was born here. Um, I had a pretty decent life so far. You know, I, I haven't struggled for much. And any struggles I had were my own fault. You know, if I had <laughs> financial problems, it's because... We charge too much stuff. You know, I like, I have nobody to blame but anybody on anything that went, went, went wrong in my life. Except when Giuliani wouldn't pay you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's a good policy to get rid of illegal aliens. 
And another reason why I'm disenchanted with the Republican Party. Disillusioned. Disillusioned, disenchanted, <laughs> is these sanctuary cities where they're harboring illegal illegal immigrants that are committing crimes. Now, what do you mean by crimes? Because some people make the argument just by being illegal, you're committing crimes. Where, well, where do you draw the well, line Well, that's, that's right in, you know... Technically, in the title, but I mean, what do you view as deportable crimes? Anything violent. Okay. Anything that deprives another, uh, that deprives a citizen of their quality of life. Okay, that's so, pretty vague. The thing is, here, if you're crafting laws, you have to be specific. Okay, seven major seven major crimes that the FBI keeps statistics on. I think it's uh, it's been a long time since I had to take any type of uh, promotional test, but the seven crimes basically are homicide, rape, burglary, robbery, assault, grand larceny, manslaughter. I don't know what the other. <laughs> okay. I, you know, it, I'll include they're, they're, a they're, list they're, of the seven in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're you know, those crimes definitely. Okay. Recidivists. Okay, how do you feel about an illegal alien that gets nonviolent crime? This isn't about me, this is about you. Well, I'm asking you. <laughs> right? I'm just asking you to clarify. Okay. person that's here illegally and gets arrested for driving while intoxicated, driving while impaired, um, driving with a suspended license, minor crime. They get arrested four or five times for, for that crime. They clearly are not following the rules of being a United States citizen. Mm-hmm. One, that they're here illegally. They went past their visa or, you know, whatever immigration status they had. They snuck into the country, whatever they did. So you're not you're not going by all of us by just staying illegal. And then you're you're committing minor crimes over and over and over and over. So you're more for uh, discretion case by case kind of analysis. Yeah. I, not I think, a blanket yeah. to port everybody, but not a sanctuary city. Yeah, there, there's other countries I think um I think Australia. Not hundred percent sure. Their immigration status is, you know, how can you benefit our country by coming in here? I'm a carpenter. Well, you know, we have an abundance of carpenters, we have unemployed carpenters, so we're not gonna grant you citizenship. I'm a doctor. Alright, we have we're, we're low on doctors right now, so we need you to come in and become a citizen. You know, th- mm-hmm. I think that's... Granted, this country is different than any other country, but I think that's a good immigration policy. You know, if you could come in here and you could benefit us while we benefit you by making you a United States citizen, come on in. Somebody that's coming in here specifically to work illegally uh in the in the drug trade or in you know human sl- human sex slavery anything like that mm-hmm. no business being here so it sounds like with criminal justice reform and immigration you really are in the middle between the two parties it's maybe just... more one side than the other but yeah. it seems like the republican immigration policy and the democratic immigration policy are not working for you no i just can't see i and all these sanctuary cities are all democratic cities from what, what I know. New York, San Francisco, Chicago. I'm no means an expert on immigration issues. This is any politician. I respect any politician that breaks with party lines to do what's right. And unfortunately, in my lifetime, there's not been that many politicians that have done that. Okay, that's fair. 
you know, and and that's that's a problem. I think if you take money out of it, get rid of lobbying, you know, campaign finance reform is a must. And I I truly think that we need a a prominent third party, the moderate party, where you could you can have liberal views and conservative views and work together and this way when you do have a Republican president and you don't have a, a maybe if you have a Republican president and you don't have a democratically run uh, a Democrat heavy Senate or vice versa Democratic Senate I mean a Democratic president with a um, a predominantly Republican Senate you get nothing done mm-hmm. but if you have a third party that's a viable third party not the Green Party not you know these these little you know little parties that have you know like super uber conservative or super or uber liberal views a moderate party where somebody like me can get behind politicians and then you won't have it's either a republican bill or it's a democrat bill it'll just become a bill and then maybe you'll get more things done and things done better for the country if only black lives matter build the wall <laughs> yeah Somebody like no, but I understand that because I know you've always said like you're a fiscal conservative, but you don't get why people are anti-gay marriage and stuff like that. Yeah, there's there's certain things I have issues with, different sexual orientation things. I don't, you know, me. I feel that if if you could be happy, and you're a guy, and you find another guy, and you're both happy, and you're both, you know, you're not harming anybody. You know, it's to me, it's just as offensive on the subway to see a male and a female making out like crazy, you know, almost having sex through their clothes on the subway as it is two guys. You don't want to have to look at anybody or listen to anybody. <laughs> no, I'm saying if, you know, I'm just saying that why, why people are so hung up on, and it works both ways, you know, conservatives are so hung up on gay people, right? They're not hurting anybody, you know? They're, they're just trying to live their lives, you know, build a family, and and have the same rights as everybody else. And liberals are always bad-mouthing people of faith. You know, if I believe, if my beliefs are my beliefs, and I'm not hurting anybody with them, you know, I, I, I'm also, as, as I'm a recovering Democrat and a recovering um, Republican, I'm also a recovering Catholic. <laughs> But, you know, like, I've noticed there's, there's almost a war, and the Tea Party has a lot to do with it. But the Tea Party's an extreme Christian right. Mm-hmm. And these but televan- they also hijacked their whole government. So right. they're well, not nobody. They have a lot of power in this country. Yeah, that I think they is do important it. to know. They but, radicalized their base. Yeah, and they supplied a lot of money to and political campaigns. gerrymandering, but and that's, that's a whole other thing. But, but you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think there's, there's, there's a war on... Not a war, but I think just moderate Christians. Those people that believe in, you know, the Golden Rule and the Ten Commandments and the teachings of Jesus Christ. I think there's a war on on those people. And, you know, we come from a very Catholic, you know, more my generation than your, your generation. We didn't push you to go to church every week. You know, we made sure you made all your sacraments. And what's wrong with somebody that has faith? Faith should be a good thing. Mm-hmm. You could argue, well, you know, science proves that everything is wrong, and there's, there's, that's religion is a whole another debate. But 
I feel like there there's a there's a war going on against gay people's rights, and on the other side there's a war going on Christians' rights, and this isn't about me not going to say anything. No, <laughs> and, but but everybody should be able to live their life they peacefully they they the way they want to as long as they're not infringing on other people. Well, I think the golden rule that we should follow as Americans is just don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the best yeah, place to be kind end. to each other. Yeah. It's a very very simple uh thing. That's I think that's a good place to stop as any. Okay. So thank you very much for joining me. You have anything you want to plug? Sure. <laughs> August twelfth, my band, the Angel Share and the Devils Do. You might recognize them from their abbreviations, Assad, which Assad, you picked yeah. right before Bashir al Assad decided to yeah. start chemical gassing everybody, so way to go. You know, not <laughs> the uh well it's spelled differently. Yeah. Right? Not the best abbreviation. Yeah. A lot of people tend to not come to our shows yeah. when I say ASAP is playing. Yeah. So it's August 12th? August 12th at uh, Grizzly Sports Den at 666 Sunrise Highway in Bayshore. We're playing, uh, we're going to have some special guests. Jesse Nissenbaum from Hazmat Bay <laughs> will be opening up with an acoustic set and probably another acoustic set in between ours. It's a $15 cover, but that gets you four hours of live music and all you could eat barbecue really good barbecue too ribs steaks okay, sausage enough plugs throughout this whole show yeah i'm not giving you a whole wow a whole sales wow pitch. really <laughs> yeah it sounds good well that's a plug <laughs> uh even your host he may be there i haven't he, committed <laughs> and he might even be uh gracing us with some musical talent we'll see so yeah well thank you very much sure and maybe we'll hear from you next time well, Phil goes now, on a honeymoon. Do I get a check for this? Is this a paid thing? No, it's all no? pro bono. Oh. All right. <laughs> okay, well, goodbye. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>